Weird. Double. Hello, this is Mike Lanier from the CarshowNationals.com Let's Roll podcast with my co-host Jeff Thisted, Hot Rod Power Tour. Hey, all right, let's still roll. Going, still going. Yeah, and we're here with Sarah Edwards. Who she could, she's going to tell us her story, how she got into racing, and she's got an interesting story, I'm sure. Not only racing, but racing jet car, jet drags. I mean, that's <laughs> kind of a. I mean, anybody can drive a, a vehicle with an internal combustion engine, but to have a vehicle with a jet engine, that's. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. That's a whole other level of uh, uh, courageousness, yeah. stupidity, <laughs> nuts, whatever you want to categorize. That's another <laughs> another level there. It yeah. sure is. So, Sarah, Sarah how, yeah, like Mike said, how did you get into it? So I actually came from a completely non-racing background. My family is not involved in drag racing. Um, my dad drag raced, like, back in the day when he was dating my mom, like when the dinosaurs roamed the earth. Um, he ran a dump truck down the drag strip at Raceway Park in New Jersey. But other than that, I that was obviously way before my time, so I wasn't around for that. I We never did car things as a family. Um, now back the dump truck up. Wait one moment. Your dad drove a dump truck down a, the, the quarter mile, the drag strip? Yeah, uh, Raceway Park in Old Bridge Township, New Jersey. They used to have an event called Diesel Nationals where all diesel trucks, dump trucks, big rigs, all that, um, they would come down and they would run the car. My dad, or trucks, my dad was working for a paving company at the time. And he just said, oh, this will be fun. Like, let's go bring the dump truck. He went down and he won in his class. And he said they were so excited. He, like, forgot to even go get the trophy. <laughs> uh, that's fantastic. Okay. okay. Oh, great story. Okay. And I, got good, I wish I could pull it up. I had a good picture to go with it. He was in front of his truck with, like, this big red afro because it was way back in the day. And, uh so that's always fun because when I was driving the jet car, fast forward a little bit, um, I got to run at the Diesel National event. So we went way back in the archives, in the box of pictures. We dug up his picture from back in the day, and I loved pairing it side by side with my picture. <laughs> Very cool. How, how was your Afro? How did it hold up compared to his? Much better. Really? Okay, good. Good, good. <laughs> yeah, so... Other than that, I had no racing in my family. I'm an only child. And uh, one night, again, race. I live in Connecticut, Fairfield, okay. Lower Fairfield County. So I'm about 45 minutes north of New York City. And for us, our closest track was Raceway Park in Oldbridge Township, New Jersey. And my dad, um, he's an appliance repair technician, so he drives around all day. And in his van, he heard a radio ad, you know, come on down to Raceway Park. For uh, the Night of Thrills event, and he Raceway came home. Park Night of Thrills. Yeah, exactly. So he came home and said to my mom, "Like, oh, why don't we take Sarah? It's on a Wednesday night. It's something kind of fun and different to do. We'll take the boys next door, who were like brothers and, to me growing up." And I mean, usually night a uh, Night of Thrills never happened on a Wednesday. So when Wednesday night Night of Thrills, you got to be there. I mean, exactly, you have to go. So we went, and I was just completely captivated i the walking How old were you? i was about 12. okay yeah um the sights the sounds the like feeling in your chest of the rumble like the monster trucks the jet cars the fuel cars anything that went down the track and you know you drive around the pits i was just like in awe i fell in love and then on top of it you guys know at a racetrack you can go up and meet the driver and talk to them. So how cool is that? To be sitting in the stands at 12 years old, I saw the Queen of Diamonds go down the track at 300 miles an hour. She beat the beast from the east, and they're saying it's Jesse Harris, it's a girl. And then you get to go and actually see the girl that was under that helmet driving the car, and I was just blown away. And I left that night, and I was like, that's what I want to do one day. But I'm 12, and I've gone through karate. I've gone through uh, ballet, and none of them lasted. I was like, yeah, I tried it. Mm, next. So my parents are like, yeah, okay, whatever. Like, that's nice that you like it, but they never anticipated, like, what would come a decade later. Well, I mean, 
soccer practice and ballet and, and karate are one thing to right. get you you get a new gear you get some some sh some shoes for right. ballet but a, a jet car is a whole nother how, how do they prepare for that or how do you you don't <laughs> okay, yeah <laughs> so uh so we had left that night and i was just you know fell in love with drag racing and then it became a tradition that we'd go every year to that event and i would bring a new friend every time and and uh that was fun and then we kind of got tired because we we're like oh this is the same thing every year so we started going to the nhra national events at raceway park which is a whole new you know ignite your senses with the fuel cars running and all that yes it's insane and then um we had gone oh, we had oh geez house phone and we still have one <laughs> um then we had gone out to reading uh maple grove for a national event and my parents had asked me and i was in high school at the time and they're like would you ever want to come back and i was like honestly We've been there, done that. We've seen it. It's the same thing. It's a traveling circus. They pick up and go from one state to the next. I was like, I want, I really want to drive. Like, I don't want to watch anymore. I want to drive. So um, my parents were like, all right, because I kept pushing it. I kept, like, looking online. I actually forced, and, like, who I really followed. And how old were you at the time? Probably that was around high school. It was probably, okay. like, a sophomore, maybe. So 15, 16-ish? Yeah. Okay. So um, they're like, all right, here's the deal. You need to graduate high school, good grades, all that, which, I mean, I was a good student anyway, but, um, and then you can go to Frank Hawley's Drag Racing School. So I graduated wow. high school in June of 2010, 18 years old, and that July I got to go to Frank Hawley's Drag Racing School, but the cool part was Frank Hawley comes up to the Northeast to license people and take his class, and it happened to be at uh, Maple Grove in Reading, Pennsylvania, which was okay. the last NHRA event we had gone to, where I had said I'd only want to come back if I was driving. So that was really neat that I got to get my license at the last track I had gone to and said I didn't want to come back unless I was driving. So I uh, did his two-day program, which I don't know if you guys have ever you know, interacted with Frank Hawley or if you know anything about his program or have taken it, it is, you have to do it. Even if you know how to drive or, you know, his class was mind blowing. I mean, he really, he not only taught you how to drive the car, but he taught you so much about yourself that you didn't know and how your mind works and your muscle memory and I mean, I think everybody and anybody I talk to who's taken his class can basically say the same exact thing, that you just learn so much about you as a person and how your body works and how you're going to react. So that was amazing. But that was honestly the most nervous I've ever been in my entire life. Like, it was just my dad and I out there. So was, this a, was the drag racing school, is that a graduation present? It was just kind of like a reward, I guess. Okay. So, like, you did so you and your pop went? Yeah, we went. And um, the first day, I was with all guys. And the first day, you have to make three runs day one and three runs day two. And you need five out of the six runs. Like, you need to hit your mark where he wants you to be to advance. Okay. Now, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Had you ever been in a, in a drag show before? No. Okay. I never even stepped on a drag strip to know how sticky it is. Okay, so when you start this drag racing school, did they start you in a top fueler, or do you go down the course in a in a Ford 15 passenger van? What's the progression? Because you, well, they can't I, just stick. I signed up for the super comp class to get my super comp license, which is about 160 miles an hour, and okay. like I think at that point it was like 8.9 seconds or something around there. I was doing. Um, so up until that point, I had never sat in a car. I had never started a car. I'd never stood on a racetrack. I'd never gone down a racetrack. I mean, talk about green. I knew nothing. So and, as, a, as a green rookie, what kind of shoes were you wearing? And you're a pretty girl. What kind of shoes were you wearing when you, when you stepped on the, uh, the, the track for the first time? Sneakers. <laughs> see, okay, because I know some people, some girls, I see them here and there at different tracks with their flip-flops, and they lose them. 
oh, and then yeah. they're barefoot on because it's sticky. <laughs> at Summit yeah. Motorsports Park for Bill Bader's Night Under Fire event, at the end of the night, he invites everybody out onto the track, and you can meet the driver. So I'd be standing there with the jet car signing, and the amount of people that broke their flip-flops, lost their flip-flops, got them stuck to the track, <laughs> uh, it, it's funny. But, uh, yeah, back to Frank Hawley. So I got in the car, and, like, I I was so nervous. And I would, like, do my burnout, and everything's filmed, and you had to go back into the classroom after every run and talk about what happened. And he never wanted to hear, I, I don't know. You had to come back and say, I messed up doing this, or this felt different, or this felt wrong, or, you know, you had to explain what you felt in the car. So at the end of day one, I just – like wasn't progressing and um by day two he had said to my dad like you're not leaving here with our license my dad's like oh no <laughs> we came here like she wants her license like she's leaving with her license because out of the group that I was with I was probably the most like determined like I went there for the sole purpose of I wanted my NHRA super comp license a lot of the guys were <laughs> older their wives had given them this as like a bucket list gift or an anniversary gift or go have fun. I like, I wanted, you know, I want to go racing. You, so, you were the only girl and the youngest. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I have to tell you, like looking back, that was just the start of how supportive people are. Most of those guys stayed at the end of day two. I had to make three extra runs because I didn't meet my marks, to, you know, sign off in six passes. And they stayed and watched me get my license. So that was just like the beginning of looking back now. It's like, wow, that was just the beginning of how amazing the racing community really is. Right. Um, and I bet you still keep in contact with, with most of them. Uh, there was like one or two that I kept in contact for the longest time. I mean, now it's like 10 years ago, but yeah, crazy. Awesome, wow. Yeah. But that was by far, I even learning how to drive the jet car, I never had as many, like as my nerves were never as bad as they were that day. I didn't know if I was going to puke. I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know if I was going to like ugly cry, but I didn't know why I was crying. Like, it was just a whole roller coaster of emotions. My dad was so nervous. The guys were joking with him that if he could have smoked two cigarettes at once, like <laughs> he would have lit them both up. <laughs> so what was going on and what was preventing you from, from qualifying or why did uh, Frank say that you weren't going to get the license and then uh, explain what went on? Had, had you come out, overcome that? It's honestly at this point such a blur I don't remember what the specifics were that I was like you know maybe I didn't do my burnout right or like long enough or this or that but whatever it was it wasn't to his specifications into what he really wanted us to do so okay I was insane <laughs> so, when, so you qualified so you, got, you your, got it yeah when I you got, got it, it. I, I mean what was your what I was your reaction Again, I didn't know if I was going to cry. I didn't know. I couldn't yeah. believe I got it. I, it was like the emotion. I'm not a very emotional person. My family tells me I'm cold. <laughs> My The jet team I drove for called me Little Miss Matter of Fact because I never showed emotion. And my emotions were like on a roller coaster. They didn't know what they wanted to do when we left. Wow. So you got your license. Yep. Then what? Super comp license. Yep. How do you get into a super comp car then? So funny story is uh, my dad always tells me to always tell your story, always tell everybody what you want to do because you never know who knows somebody. Who's listening, yeah. Right. So like my Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> like Jeff. He knows everyone. <laughs> my aunt's husband, so my uncle, he uh, he was a commodities trader at the time. A total doesn't know anything. He doesn't even change a light bulb in his house, right? Like there's no car factor to him, nothing. So when we were telling him that I got interested in racing, he kept telling me he worked with somebody who goes drag racing. And I'm like, Kevin, you don't know what drag racing is. You don't know anything about it. You're probably thinking about like NASCAR because where we live, everybody, nobody knows about drag <laughs> racing. Everybody just assumes race car, Danica Patrick, NASCAR. That's like the suit. That's how it goes. So like, you know, you know nothing. 
He's like, no, Sarah, I really do. And sure enough, he worked with the gentleman, Bob Wolkowitz. He used to bracket race. His brother is Gary Wolkowitz, who has a, uh, um, he's in the factory stock go down class. He has a car and he's had a, his brother had a Barracuda. He has Hemis. Um, they're all bracket racers. And lo and behold, Bob was bracket racing in super comp at the time. And Kevin exchange, we exchanged our information. And at that point I'm like this 18, I'd actually met him before I got my license. So I'm like this 17 year old girl emailing this older guy <laughs> um, who supposedly had a race car and um, and sure enough, he he did exactly what I had wanted to do at the time. And we got to go out to Raceway Park to watch him race. And he let me he did let me sit in his car, um, just like in the pit. That was the extent of it. Um, so after I got my license, Bob is actually the guy who put me in contact with somebody who was selling a super comp car and got us connected. And that's how I bought my dragster. Very cool. You never know who's listening and you never know who really knows, you know, can pass along. That was my biggest lesson because I'm like, Kevin, you don't know anything about drag racing. And he sure doesn't. You know, they came out to the track and he's trying to back me up standing behind the dragster with no mirrors uh, to bring me backwards. But he <laughs> definitely had a connection that we weren't expecting. I'm waving you back, Sarah. Why can't you? Why aren't you doing yeah, anything? Like, Come, Come on. on. My mom's like, she can't see you. <laughs> That's funny. So, uh, awesome, yeah. Kevin. <laughs> so we got the car about, I would say probably within a year that I had gotten my license. And then from there, we started bracket racing. And we really thought like Raceway Park would be my home track because that's where I grew up going and watching. And we couldn't, I think we like couldn't get a test in tune date there or something. And somehow we ended up at Akko Dragway in Southern New Jersey. And it's a little mom and pop, uh, you know, drag strip compared to Raceway Park, which is a little bit more commercialized. And we absolutely fell in love with it. And for four years, we bracket raced at Akko Dragway about twice a month, um, you know, spring through fall. Explain to us what uh, what what the super you got your super contractor. Explain what that is. So a super comp like class is an yeah. 890 class, 890 index. So you actually accelerate, you leave the line, and then the car kind of shuts down. It dies down, and then it reaccelerates about at 330 feet to the finish line. And the object is to get as close to that 890. Um, without breaking out and as close to that as you're the winner. But we actually, I got my super comp license and the car that we bought was set up to run super comp, but it was also set up to run top dragster or super pro, which basically means you could enter in your time, you know, your predicted time and you can run it to the finish line as long as you get as close to your time as possible. And we actually never ran my car um, as super comp. We had just kind of, the guy who sold me the car worked with me for a weekend and we just ended up going top dragster racing. We didn't do super comp. So with top dragster racing and super pro, you're racing people who can have handicaps. So basically you put up your dial in. So I could dial in 750 and the car next to me could dial in 1050. And with that three second difference, the slower car their lights will come down first, they'll leave, and then I will leave. So that way, when you're about at the thousand foot mark, you're neck and neck is the design. And then at that point, as the driver, you have to figure out if you want to, you know, pull your handbrake a little or give it the foot brake a little bit. And that way you get as close to your predicted time at the finish line as possible. Because if you go quicker than you anticipated, you break out. It's like it took me about four years to figure it out. No one likes to break out. No one likes no. to break out. No. Uh -huh. uh, so, no. what size engines in this thing? It was a 565 uh, big block. As opposed yeah. to those 565 small blocks I hear so much about. Yeah. I'm just giving you hard. So, 565 big block, a full on yeah. rail super comp dragster, and you're running uh, eighth mile or quarter miles? I was running quarter mile. Quarter miles at seven seconds. That's. That's, yeah. that's a, that's so a little bit. 
750s because my car actually has a chrome roll cage, so it restricts me uh, from going any quicker per the rules because they feel that the chrome, uh, the roll cage being chrome, they can't ultrasound it and really get, I guess, like the strength beneath it. So they cut you off at the 750 mark. Um, but the car was capable of going quicker. However, I haven't been in that car in about five years because um, at the end of 2015, I we it was funny, we had just finished, it was like October, we ran two races at this in the same time, same day, and that was the furthest I'd ever gone. I got into the semifinals and the quarterfinals of both races. Other than that, I'd never won a race um, in the Supercomp Top Dragster car. And we're like, wow, like as a family, because again, we're not a drag racing family, we don't do this every weekend, my dad doesn't tune a car every weekend, and a racetrack for us, isn't in our backyard like in my backyard i have a football field for a high school so if i played a sport i could condition there every single day and it's a hop skip and a jump for us to go to a drag strip it's a three and a half hour you know trip south and a hotel and all the expenses that come with it so um you know we were we were really green we learned a lot and by the end of that October, like, I think we finally know what bracket racing is. I understand all the lingo, the package, your reaction time, all of that. I'm learning. I'm getting comfortable in the car. I've had enough seat time where I can actually now be confident to look over while I'm driving, see where my opponent is at the thousand foot and figure out how I want to play the finish line. And uh, so we packed up and we're like, we got it next year. I think we might win a race. And uh, two weeks later, I was out in my yard putting Halloween decorations out, and I got a Facebook message from Al Hanna of Hanna Motorsports asking me if I'd be interested in driving their jet car. So, come on, you got the request. <laughs> yep. Uh, so who did you did you who did you tell your story to? You told you that you wanted to drive a jet car. How did they know? It was just the the really weird thing is that. Even though for us bracket racing was a hobby and like a family thing, in my mind, I always wanted to be that Ashley Force. Like I always wanted to go to the top and do whatever it takes, even when you're starting out and nobody knows who you are, to be as professional as you could. Like I would do car shows, speak at schools. I'd make sure, you know, my parents, my boyfriend all had on a very, you know, professional polo with our names on it. Um, I had press, but it was all local. Like you guys would never know about our local advocate or, you know, something like that. But everything that I did, I had gave credit to that time when I was 12 years old and I saw Jesse Harris and the Queen of Diamonds and Hannah Motorsports. So Hannah Motorsports got free, you know, publicity for a couple of years before I came along. Um, and I don't, I don't know who specifically I, you know, triggered. But yeah, they had, they heard of me. They reached out to me. Their driver at the time, Ken Hall, is the one who I had met him at the track and he has an amazing personality and he's so personable. And, um, you got to spend a little bit of time with him, but not to the extent that you think you would, you know, be driving a jet car the next year or something like that. Um, so yeah, that was, it was crazy because it's like, it was a real full circle experience to see a car when you're 12 years old, walk away saying you want to do that one day in the back of your head, knowing like, yeah, we all want to do cool stuff one day, but you know, those opportunities don't always come around. And when the opportunity did come knocking, it was like, we all couldn't believe it. Wow. Yeah. Just like a shock. I mean, just to get that, that call or text. Man. It was Pretty a cool. Facebook, I'll never forget. It was a Facebook message, and I had a sweatshirt, like a hoodie on with the front pocket, and I heard my phone go off, and I looked at it, and I was like, Al Hannah. And I put it back <laughs> in my pocket. I didn't even open it at first because I couldn't believe it. I was like, I think I should read that later. And then obviously, <laughs> you know, I came inside and I read the message, and then from there on out, I mean, we, we messaged a little bit back and forth. We took a phone call. And then within a week, I was up at his uh, shop. I got to meet him and his wife and his son, who also drives for them. And the following week was Halloween, and I was in the car. Wow. In the car. Now, how did you – now, who taught you – did 
who, yeah, how did you learn to drive the jet car? So, yeah, that's um, what I'm thinking. <laughs> Al's son, Rich Hanna, who was my teammate, uh, he taught me how to drive the car under Al's supervision as well. And where, he, you can't Rich, just go in the backyard or, or the front street or where do you? Uh... No. So we right. have gone to Lebanon Valley in New York and um, we tested there. And the first step was just, you know, getting me in the car. It had a canopy, so they put me in to make sure I felt comfortable. And then from there, you know, they just started. We did a little smoke and fire to begin with, like kind of not on the track, but in the pit. But it was, you know, almost November, so it was literally just us. Um, and they they just walked me through the entire process. And, you know, to start the car, Rich would start it with me to begin with. His hand would be over my hand so I, I could learn the feel of it and the levers and where they had to be and the gauges and stuff like that. And um, I would say probably the closest I got to being as nervous as when I was licensing with Frank Hawley was probably the first time I had a, you know, Rich had to walk away and say, it's time for you to start it on your own. Your first um, solo. Yeah, that was a little like, oh, no. But, um, you know, like anything else, you do it a couple of times, and then all of a sudden you're doing it in your sleep. So they made the now, transition really um, very easy for me. Can you walk us through? Uh, if you have one, if you have one, would you walk us through? If not, you know, no worries. Because uh, I know it's like I, I Larry Dixon is a friend of mine, and he's got a, he does, he has a routine. Every time he gets in the car, he A, B, C, D. Yep. Can you take us through getting in the car? What do you do? What's your on your checklist to, to get this thing from A to B? So, uh, you know, all day you're out in your, in your black pants and your polo and then mingling with fans. And then as soon as I would go into the trailer, change and put my fire suit on, everybody said it's like I became a different person. It's like you just become serious. So you, basically that meant we were ready to go. Do you keep and, your, do you put your helmet on and shut the visor? And that means, you know, leave me alone. Is the helmet off? Are you accessible? What you may change? Still, at that point, I'm still accessible until they would put me in the car, not strapped in or anything. They put me in and we tow up to the staging lanes. And then once you're in the staging lanes, it's like, I don't want anybody around me. It's just between me, you know, my mom and dad were at every single race, my dad and, and my boyfriend as well. Um, he'd, or my fiance now. Yeah, um, congratulations. He would be there. Thank you. <laughs> he would uh, be there with me also and my team. And I kept it small and just us at that point. And when we knew, like, we were really ready to go, um, it would just be me and my crew guy at that point who would help me get the rest of my suit on. He would help suit me up, you know, the headstock, the helmet on, neck brace, all that stuff. Um, I wouldn't say that I had like a super strict order in the way it went on. It just kind of went on the way it made the most sense. Um, and then before we would um, even get in the car, I, it was my job to walk around the entire car from front to back, check my parachutes, make sure they were, you know, where I wanted the pins were in. Um, all that kind of stuff. And then I would hop in the car. And then when I'd hop in the car, um, I'd kind of get settled in there. Who packs your parachutes? Me. I would pack. Me and my crew guy, you know, I powdered them. I was in charge of checking them for any type of rips or anything like that. Um, and if there was a rip, we used duct tape because, hey, that can go 300 miles an hour, right? And uh, I, I personally would powder the heck out of them that it looked like you were working in a bakery and like a cake exploded on you. But I had one incident when I when we were testing and I don't think I powdered the shoots and I felt that they didn't come out as hard or the same way. So from that day forward, I it was like a can of baby powder per shoot. It was like loaded up. But um, so I'd get in the car and my crew guy would start with my lap belt. He'd bring the center up. The two on my laps would connect. My arms would, uh, I had arm restraints and those would get linked into my lap belts. And then he would do my shoulders and uh, he'd get all that kind of clicked in. And then depending on what was ahead of us is we would decide whether we would tighten them all the way. Because once you would tighten them, like you're, you're in there. 
And I would even like, you know, lower my shoulders. That way we could get them that much tighter. And then the last thing that we would do would be my chin strap because um, my chin was tied down just for whiplash and anything else. Because when you leave the line, you have four Gs. And when you pull the chute five and a half seconds later, it's negative six. So it gets a little wild in there. But um, Four Gs loading and then negative six at the end. Yeah. That's, that's quite a jolt, huh? <laughs> Very much so. But uh, once all my belts were kind of in place, whether they were tightened or not, everybody would kind of walk away from me. And that was my time with the car. And that's when I would sit and just yell in my helmet and, and go over like, you know, as if the starting guys were behind me saying started and, and you know, I would move my lever, I would hit my switches and just make sure I could touch everything and go through my entire process, um, you know, a couple of times as long as I had time to do so. And what is then, your process, the switches and the, the levers? So we would get in the car and then they would say, uh, do it probably. And they had a starter that connected to the car. So they started the car kind of externally as well as with me. It's in a it. massive battery pack in the back of a pickup truck. Exactly. That takes like three guys to get it in and out because it's yep. so incredibly heavy. So I would uh, flip my switch to start it, tick, 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 and I would bring my uh, throttle up because at my feet, I only had my brakes, my rear and my front brakes. The whole car was basically driven with one hand, my left hand on the steering wheel and my right hand operating the throttle. Um, and you only use your brakes when you're towing up to the line and when you start the car, you have all 120 pounds of me, like just pressing them down so you don't want to slide or anything. And then you never use your brakes really after that. So uh, we would start the car up, get it to where it had to be. And then they would uh, detach the starter, walk away, put everything in the truck. The truck, you'd have to wait for the truck to go down. You would wait for it to get to a certain part. And if you were racing with somebody in the other lane, you you know, would wait for them to have the same, you know, go time basically. Did you ever come to a, a Memphis Motorsports Park for the C, were you at the C10? No, not, not C10, the F-Body Camaro show, the F-Body Nationals? No, we would go, I went to Memphis once. It was the first weekend in April. And it was for like their super Chevy event. Okay, because the uh, we had two F body nationals, and I Mike the first one I was at I was right next to, you, and there's there's another girl who drives a jet car. Because okay. I thought I had met you before, and the things are when you say you take them up to the line, they do the the puffs. Yeah, the burner pops. The burner pops. Now, Mike, I'm an idiot, and I'm, at least I'm wearing high tops on the track. <laughs> But I'm in short pants. They allow an idiot like me because I have a microphone on the track. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't. But, uh, um, oh, I, I, and I can't remember his name right now. He's on the Memphis Hall of Fame on the side of the track. He told me, Jeff, if you want a really good shout with your iPhone, get behind the jet car. No. Right? Uh, exactly. They're doing these pops. So then the next year, Michael Upchurch, the track announcer, told me I need to go upstairs in his booth. To yeah, feel these things. Or you could look down, right? We could, but uh, next to the car, you get the feel in your chest. In the booth, it's like the whole thing is going to get blown off. It is insane. So I can't it's imagine insane. being in the car doing those, the burner pops it's after not, burner. I feel like it's definitely more of an experience outside of the car than inside. Oh, really? of the car. Okay. 100%. Because I grew up watching the jet cars and loving them. And I remember being at English Town when uh, Shockwave, before um, Chris Darnell, the Darnell family owned it, Shock, Les Shockley owned it, and they blew out all the screens at the Raceway Park Tower from the heat. And I mean, it just, it pumps your chest. If you sit close to the starting line, you think your eyebrows are gonna singe off. I mean, it's just an incredible experience. But as a driver, you don't get that in the car. Interesting, it's all okay. outside of you. Okay. So, um, you know, we would start the car up, the truck would drive away, Al would give me the, you know, go for it, and uh, you'd let out a bunch of smoke, we'd do that three times, so you'd have smoke, fire, like a long fire, 
smoke, long fire, smoke, long fire. And then you would go up in your percentages and um, basically like RPMs up. And then that's when you would do the burner pop. So you would ignite, um, you jump fuel, ignite it, and pop your uh, your feet off the brakes and back on real quick. And you do all four things at the same time. And you do about like six or seven, depending how close to the starting line you were. And then at that point, um, at that point, it's like game on. Now you're ready to roll up, you know, shut the visor and uh, stage at about, you know, 89% or whatever. And What uh, kind of RPM is 89% or whatever? I don't even remember. I just, I was always focused on, like, I knew in my gauges, like, my percentages and where I needed to be and stuff like that. So that's really what I, like, memorized and just went with. Um, so you'd pull up to the first light, you know, light the bulb, wait for the other guy to light the bulb, take a big deep breath, look down the track where you're going to go. And that's it. Like I would check all my switches one more time, make sure everything was on and off what it was supposed to be doing. And then you're going to full throttle all the way up. Full throttle. And then go ahead. And so you would bring the throttle all the way forward, which would be max. And then you would wrap your hand when you got there, there's a parachute lever waiting for you also. So now you're going to wrap your hand around that lever as well. And you still are of your left hand on the steering wheel because it's the only way you're going to get down there. And um, we had a switch on the steering wheel as well. And you would ignite both switches and jump both feet off your brakes and you're going down the track. That's it. And so the switches and then once your feet are off the brakes... Yeah, and okay. it was so funny because you, and this is where like going back to Frank Holly and like muscle memory and how your body is like conditioned and works and stuff like that. I would leave the line and I'd be so focused on where my hands were in this and my switches and hitting them right and, and not going red or whatever. And that you don't even remember at the end of the run that you lifted your feet back. They just, it was just like, it just happens. They just would come back and I would get down track and be like, my knees would be up here. Like, <laughs> and what? They don't need to be that far up there. But like, you know, it was so instilled in me that like, once you take your feet off the brakes, like that's it. Don't go near them. Don't be anywhere around them. Um, keep your distance from them. So uh, yeah, you haul down the track. And when you would leave the line, to me, it was very smooth because you had 6,000 pounds of thrust behind you. So you're essentially being pushed and like just pushed down the track. And, you know, a good track, it's really smooth and you're just kind of gliding. But as soon as you cross the finish line and you kill the engine and deploy those two parachutes, which are what are going to stop you, that's when the ride got wild. That's when you felt everything. So that was a big difference for me because in the top dragster car, when I would leave the line, that's your launch. Your tires are gripping to the track and you kind of would have that like head jolt and all that. Um, in the jet car, you didn't have any of that until you crossed the finish line. And when those shoots came out, if they hit right, because you never know which way they're going to blossom. They could blossom, you know, one up here, one over there. Um, that is like, the ride of your life. Like I always said zero to 300 was a breeze. 300 to zero was like, hold on. Cause here we go. And also, and you guys know, like going down tracks, the track can be glass. It could be smooth, but they forget to like keep up with the shutdown area sometimes. So I think we were racing in Iowa. We were racing somewhere and the track shutdown area went into like an oval track. So when you, Cross the finish line at that track. I think it was the eighth mile, though. But um, you had to like, like judge the shutdown area just right and go over like the hump the right way because if you didn't take that circle like dip, you would fly. You'd bottom out and fly, yeah. Yeah. So I would say like driving in the shutdown area is the most challenging. You go to tracks where it's nice and wide, and then all of a sudden it narrows in and what do you do when your shoots are out here like that you know so um but i that was my favorite part was pulling the shoots and feeling your body just want to keep going but being you know dragged back at the same time so i very, guess that's where the the screw loose comes in <laughs> well it's very cool that your description or, or the, the experience behind uh the the uh, jet car is smoother uh and less violent but the uh the big block or the the dragster is a much more violent machine. 
off the hit. So they're two yeah. completely opposite experiences. They're a hundred percent opposite. And actually, when I started driving for uh, Hannah Motorsports, they had asked that because I I wasn't seasoned enough really in my other car. Uh, they had asked that I not drive both at the same time, which was fine because everything that I did in my top dragster was the complete opposite of what I did in the jet car. So like to leave the line in my uh, dragster, you'd have to take your finger off the trans brake to go. So you have no fingers on buttons. And then in the jet car, in order to go, you have to, you know, have your fingers on buttons. So just for muscle memory purposes and stuff, um, I stopped driving my car while driving the jet car. But uh, even I, I haven't been in the jet car in two years. I resigned in uh, at the end of 2018. So my dragster's still sitting in the uh, garage waiting for me to come out and uh, say it's time to go play. But she's going to be a little slow because the top dragster classes these days are insane. The like bump is like 6.2. <laughs> and really? I was doing 7.5. Yeah. So we have our work cut out for us. So when's that going to happen? When are you going to start back? We we were really like hoping to get uh even just in the car by the end of the summer and just see if I'm still like, you know, if it's still what I want to do. I mean, in my heart I want to do it, but I have again I haven't been in a car down the track in a while. Um but then with corona coming and all that, things kind of got a little screwed up. So, I don't know. I don't know what the uh there's no there's no time set on it, um, but if we can get it together and get it out there sooner than later, I'm all for it. So where do you store you? You got this thing. Uh, Uncle Kevin helped you out with a contact. Did you save? Uh, and I don't know, and I don't want to be. Uh, I hate these questions, but I'm curious. Is it a, a five figure, six figure? Because in my opinion, I, or I don't even dragsters aren't cheap. And no. it's not something you can insure. You don't usually find them on Craigslist. Right. You know what I mean? It's a specialty <laughs> item, and you're getting something that's a 750 car, so it's legitimately fast. Yeah. Um, do you and save up for this, or how does that work? Everything that I had, like, went into it, basically. So that's how that kind of transpired. And then my parents helped with the trailer. Um, That's the next question. Where do you store it? Does it come with the trailer? Yeah. Exactly. We need a box to put it in and get it places. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was a huge undertaking, and I'm very fortunate that I have very supportive um, parents who are just and not like, just, oh, And that's not just a Featherlight travel, a trailer that I can go to the local Featherlight store and pick one up. This right. is a full-on custom dragster rig. Yep. So we're, uh, you know, we, we just kind of figured it out as we went along, and we we listen to what everybody has to say and then take pieces from that. And that's kind of how we put our whole operation together and, you know, went from A to B. But it's funny. Looking cool. back, it's funny looking back now because going three and a half hours seemed like it was the farthest like trek. And then when I started driving the jet car and we only did that twice a month to the same place, three and a half hours. Then I started driving the jet car with about 16 uh, races on the schedule. And you're gone every single weekend in a different state. And it doesn't matter. You have to show up. And my parents went to every single race with me. And, again, my fiancé came when he could take off of work. But um, for us, going three and a half hours now, my dad's like, we do that in our sleep because we've driven to Ohio. We've driven here. We've driven to Michigan. Uh so it, it's funny, like all the little things that seemed like such big hurdles, you know, just a couple of years ago. Now we're like, we could do that. And, and you know, what's what's four hours? So you're, you you retired from the jet car. Yeah, that's no longer. And you're stepping back into your own uh, dragster. Yep. OK. What, what, what was your decision on that? Uh, just to move on or? Um, I had had a really bad accident in September of 2018, my second to my last race of the year. And um, at that point, I just felt it was um, a, like a sign. <laughs> yeah, time was up. My contract was up at the end of that year. And um, I just felt that it was time to step away. Mm -hmm. 
Well, so. and then you were in the jet car in the accident? Is yes. It, or you, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, I didn't know that. So the Queen of Diamonds actually um, no longer exists. Um, after that accident, the car was just completely totaled. Um, Can you walk us through what happened? You don't have to. Uh, yeah, no. So I was racing in Bristol uh, late September, and I had heard that the track was really bumpy. I actually had sat that day in the stands for 45 minutes with my crew guy and watched cars go down just to kind of like, I had never been down the track before. Um, you know, we had taken like our tow vehicle down, but it's not the same as being in a race car. Um, so we sat there and we watched cars after cars go down, obviously not at our horsepower, but still you got a good sense of like where the transition was. There's actually a tunnel under the track. So yeah. that was kind of where the transition was. So um, what part of the track does that get bumpy? What, uh, it's what about like the eighth mile. Okay. Halfway. Yeah. So, um, and you know, uh, we sat there, watched it. I went out, I made my first pass. I was racing with Ernie Boak, Beast of the East, who I did most of my races with um, in the other lane. And I, it was just incredibly bumpy. And and again, we drive the car with one hand and I understand that the steering wheel is there for a reason, but it shouldn't. you shouldn't have to drive it like a fuel funny car where you're like constantly correcting, correcting. Uh, like drastically, I should say, not constantly. Um, and it just was, it was a lot. I was like, wow, that was really bumpy. And Ernie had kind of had the same feedback. Um, but we're like, all right, this is the track. Like we're contracted to make two runs. I'm contracted at least to make two runs. I've got to go out there and make another run. You know, there's nothing other than it being bumpy to, you know, drastically prevent me from going back out there. So uh, I went back out for my second run. I Ernie and I had decided that I should stay in my lane because he felt his lane was bumpier, I believe. So we just decided to keep it where we were. I was in the right lane. And at this time, like now it's dark, which we're used to racing in the dark, no big deal. And leave the line, go down. And I remember getting close to like the finish line and being like, I can't do this anymore. Like, this is bad. This is bumpy. And I killed the engine. And when I killed the engine and deployed the parachutes, I just remember taking a really hard right into the wall. And I hit the wall dead on, broke the car in half at about 280 miles an hour, and then wow. just started barrel rolling. Um, and I, I was awake through the whole thing. I remember the sensation of, you know, Felt like I was in a washing machine. Kind of saw a little fire behind me. What I didn't know is I didn't, I thought I hit the wall and barrel rolled along the wall. I didn't know that I had gone on this world tour to the other side of the track. I clipped Ernie, um, the front of his car. I hit the wall on the left side. When I hit that wall, it shot me back to the center line. But when it shot me back to the center line, I wasn't barrel rolling. I was skidding the entire time. And as I was skidding, you know, my initial hit, I was like, you know, I had a few choice words. And then I just put my hands in my lap because I said, you know, I'm not going to put them on the steering wheel and get tangled up in that. I put them on my lap and I just kept taking some deep breaths and talking to myself. I'm like, we're okay. We got this. Um, and the scariest part was the skidding because, A, I didn't know where I was. Even though I thought I was along the wall, I still didn't really. It's all happening so fast. You can't make heads or tails of what's hap what's out outside of the canopy. But thinking that my canopy was still intact is, I think, what saved me mentally because my car did have a full canopy like Antron Brown or like some of the pros. And I thought that was on me the whole time. So I figured if something came my way towards my head, it'd have to go through my canopy and my helmet to get me. Um, so when the skidding finally stopped and I came to, you know, I'm on my side and I could see Ernie's uh, wife coming and my crew guy could see their feet and they're like, get out, get out. I'm like, I can't, I'm up, you gotta, you gotta flip me over. So they flipped me um, upright and then I was able, I kind of got out on my own and Gary, my crew guy, who's phenomenal, he was there to assist me. And I was trying to get my helmet off, which clips into my hybrid device. And I'm like running my hands up my helmet. Usually they would just clip off. 
but they kept slipping. And I'm like, that's weird, but you know, you don't think too much of it. So you get everything off. And then um, I looked back at the car and I just was like, you know, I lost it for a second. Cause I was like, I can't believe it. I did this. Like, you know, how awful. And everyone's like, are you okay? And I kept going, yeah, my name is Sarah Edwards. And I was giving them my address. So they knew I was like with it. I'm like feeling my arms and my, my legs to make sure those weren't broken. And I was really fortunate that I walked out without a scratch on me, but my helmet was drenched in kerosene, my fuel. So that's wow. why. And it was like just a puddle of fuel that, you know, my chassis was sitting in essentially because the front half of the car was down track. Wow. Yeah. So it, big kudos to, you know, the Hannah family do their, their, our chass, their chassis builder, Dan page. I mean, that chass, that car, even though we were in a position you never want to be in, it did everything it was supposed to do when it was supposed to do it. And it kept me safe that I only walked out with a bruise on my knee, like no broken bones, nothing. Um, you know, and I, after my little like turn around and look at it, I was the calmest one on the scene. My poor mom was a disaster. She like needed to leave in an ambulance more than me. Um, and, you know, they never put me on a backboard or braced my head, which they probably should have in retrospect. I had to ask to go to the hospital. You know, I was like, I just hit a wall at 280 plus miles an hour. I think I need to go check, get checked out. Um, and I did and everything was fine. So that to me was just a testament of, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Jets or Al Hanna, but Al's been involved with Jet Cars for 50 years. He's a pioneer of the sport and his advocacy for safety is really like, you know, it, it sets the bar and everything that he had poured and put into that car, I believe saved me that day. So wow. we're really thankful for that. Yeah, but now we got you here. That, it just really took a toll on my family. Um, and, you know, we I didn't know what direction my life, my personal life was going into. You know, I thought I was going to get engaged maybe a little bit sooner. But, uh, you know, <laughs> so we just thought it was a good time to, you know, walk away and, and be thankful for what we had. Very nice. You're stepping, you're out of the jet car back into your rail. And are you going to stay in, uh, in, in that competitive class? You moving up, you moving down? You know, I would love to get my top alcohol license. I'd love to run that car for, you Mike, know. Mike has his top alcohol license in tequila. <laughs> Isn't that right, Mike? No, no. No, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not a big drinker. I'm not a big drinker at all. I don't even think I drank at SEMA last year. Um, the top no, alcohol, no sorry. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, you know, I'm open to, you know, pretty much anything other than a Nitro Harley. <laughs> um, but yeah, I love yeah. my true love is a dragster. I would pick a dragster over a funny car pretty much any day of the week. Um, Why? I just have always been really attracted to the length, to the tires, to the wing in the back. I just think that they're just bad looking machines. I love dragsters. They're, they're badass. The funny cars. We had John Force's car. He and his and, and Ashley and her husband came out on the power tour a couple times. And the first time they they bring that funny car out, I'm there early in the morning and I get to play with it. And but it's intimidating. First of all, sitting in that the metal yeah. tubed thing, and then having it it closes down over you, and you have a ten thousand horsepower monster Everything in front funny. of you. Yeah. yeah, yours is behind you. Yeah, that's in front of you. Yeah, I mean all this everything is it's. That's, I mean, that's really intimidating. It, it is. And Al, you guys will probably laugh. So last year for uh, Maple Grove, their NHRA event in September, I have a friend of mine, he owns the Capital Sports Report. And he's like, Sarah, come on out with me. And you could take the camera, run around, be a photographer for the day. And, you know, the one thing about me is like, I'm they, I'm not overly competitive and I'm good outside of like, I don't have to be in the seat. Like I'm a good spectator. As long as I'm at a track, I'm like a pig and shit. Like I'm happy. I just love being around it. So I'm like, yeah, I don't care. I'll come out and do that. Well, I got to stand on the wall like for the track 
and take pictures as the cars were going down, you would have thought that I'd never gone to a drag race in my life. I've never been around a 10,000 horsepower piece of machinery, let alone gone 300 miles an hour myself. It was such a different perspective for me to stand on on the wall, like by, up against the wall and take those pictures. The first day, I think I got the grass, the sky, the trees. I got everything but the cars because they would leave <laughs> Uh, you know, 20,000 horsepower, 10 on each side, and I jumped every time. And and my family laughed at me because they're like, really? Like, you, you've kind of been in 6,000 horsepower and you're jumping? <laughs> but That's it's, fantastic. It's a different experience when you're not in control. You're out of control. And then I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so – I became this worry where I'm like, I'm so close. What if he hits the wall? I'm gone. Like, it's all these things because you're so used to being – you know, I was as calm as a cucumber in my accident in the car any other time because I feel that I'm in control. And being out of control like that is, uh, you'd think I'd never gone to a drag race before. But I got better on day two. <laughs> good, good. Well, when I did, well, my experience, you know, because like, I'm doing, learning this camera stuff and doing all this type of stuff, I went to SEMA a couple of years. The first year I went to SEMA, I saw the drift cars. And I had to sign the waiver and stand out on the track. And I've never seen drift cars in person before. I've seen them on TV. But this thing's coming right at me, and I'm like, holy crap. You know, I signed this waiver. I'm going to get killed out here. Yeah. And they're just like <laughs> a few feet away from me, and I'm sitting there filming. And you can kind of see me jump back a little bit, like it was going to come right at me. Yep. And then, then I did uh, – then the next year, I think, I went. And all the media people were right behind the wall. I'm not thinking the guy comes flying around and I got a face full of rubber in my face because it spun right in front of me. Everyone else ducked behind the wall. And here I am. But did, but did you get the shot, Mike? Did you get the shot? I don't even think I got the shot. Oh, man. Face you full of rubber. Face did full you of rubber. That's like a, yeah. I'm like, well, I learned on that, on that, that experience. And then I, then I went and covered Jeff Allen at the Optima Challenge. And they tell you, yeah, you can go stand over here, over here, over here. And I'm trying to figure out where the track even goes because they just have it coned off. Jeff's probably more familiar with that. But they got two tracks. So I'm sitting there going, I don't even know where to walk. So I just <laughs> kind of went all the way to the outside and just kind of stood by a couple other guys because I didn't want to walk in the track and not know where I'm supposed to be. But mm -hmm. that's just being a media guy, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> all aspects are cool and i feel like we always say like you know a day at the racetrack beats a day at work so good bad or ugly or different we're happy 100 percent. now you had mentioned bill bader uh mm -hmm. a little while ago mike have yeah. you ever been to the to norwalk the the summit racing uh or summit motorsports park no i've bought okay. Summit parts before but no <laughs> i love summit parts that's where i got my uh <laughs> my Excel ceramic tip spark plug wires uh, from Summit go. Racing. I ordered them yesterday from Sparks Nevada, and they're here today. I love that. But their awesome. motorsports park, uh, Sarah, do you have a favorite part of their motorsports park? I, I know that I do, and I'm trying to see if it's the same thing. Get their one pound of ice cream for a dollar. For a dollar. It's as big as your head, Mike. Yeah. It's the, and you, you don't even have to pay him a dollar to donation. My, my head's big. I know. Yeah, that's, that's... <laughs> it's amazing. That's when we facility. went there for the power tour, oh, it's the best thing ever. It is one of the most beautiful facilities I have ever gone to. I mean, it is so well-maintained. It is, I mean, he sets the bar like no other. And I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to go to their night um, night under fire event. It is, it is a production. Like, it's a very cool experience as a spectator, but I really appreciated the experience to be there as a driver because he treats you like top notch and he you go in and you have this driver's meeting and you're in there with John Forrest, Cruz Patragon, you're in there with all the big guys and I'm still like even though I've been considered like, you know, a professional driver in the jet car and this that, to me I'm still like a fan. So I I can I'll always be a fan and just be happy to be around it. So, it, you know, you sit in there and he gives you this, you know, this whole talk in his tuxedo because everybody that night who works there on the line is in tuxedos. 
and he's telling you that, you know, yes, you were chosen to be here, and yes, you were hired, whatever, but you came here to put on a show for people, and you are here to do your absolute best because there are people who have saved the whole year to come out and watch you. There are people who might be dying of cancer and not be here next year. You are here to entertain these people and do the absolute best that you can. And he just puts the whole day in a completely different perspective, but that different perspective it's like, yeah, that's why we're here. Like, win or lose, like, we're here to put on a show, to be the best that we can be. And you go out, and there's, like, a table with 50 drivers and, you know, celebrities or whatever, and you can – there's an autograph session, so you're out there, and you're I've signed, you know, guitars, timing blocks, people, babies, pillows, like, you name it. And <laughs> it's just such a cool atmosphere. And then you get ready to run, and you go out, and you're in the staging lanes again with, like, John Force. And it's like, when is that ever going to happen again? So it's just all those really little moments that, as a driver, I – I just swallowed up. I loved it. And I, you know, and you get to meet such as you guys know, great people out at the racetrack, but his event is, is top notch. The fireworks, the, the jet trucks burning the board down at the end of the night, inviting all the fans back out onto the track. It, it's a total class act, beautiful job he puts on. Well, at that, at that facility, their regular wardrobe is their summit racing t-shirt and every single person is their white pants. Yep. Dickies white pants, super white, white pants. Even the track workers, they're all black with the asphalt, but it's, yep. they've got, yeah, it's a full on team effort. And it's a, what a facility. Yeah. Right. It right. really is. So what, so what's your best time and your best or your top speed? So my best um, time was a 526 and that was wow. at Epping, uh, New England Dragway, Epping, New Hampshire. And my fastest pass was 301.76. And that was at the Diesel National event of 2017 at Raceway Park. So I was the last car, because that's September and we're in the Northeast, that was the last car to go over 300 miles an hour before they closed their doors in January, which is kind of cool. And it's in the quarter mile. Quarter mile. Three, wow. Yeah, I still have it on the list to go 200, and yeah, you you can buy it. Yeah, wow. I have a guarantee that I'm never going to probably do that, and I I have a guarantee that Jeff's probably never going to do that. Well, not with that kind of attitude, Mike. I'm at least it's on my list. I want to get 200. That's on the list. I'm getting older. It's like, man, I can't. If I go 200, I'm probably going to have a heart attack. Nah. Yeah, I don't know about driving. I know. I got to find a sponsor, but the Larry Dixon, he said he'll throw me in the back at two time. And, I was uh, you bought in that? Not yet. He, yeah. won't, he won't let me pay. Uh, he, I have to find a sponsor. Somebody's going to put me in it. But uh, okay. when we were, I did a, a, an interview about it. And have you seen the thing in person? I have. We were at um, Martin, Michigan, US 131. Um, for okay. an event. He was there as well. And he went down the track. Oh, he's super awesome. But when you look in the back, did you see the little steering wheel yeah. in the back? Oh, it's super funny. And then after I got done with the, my little video, uh, he says, well, do you want to know why we have that, Jeff? I'm like, well, you don't steer it from the back. No. So he shows me a video of one guy, and it's on YouTube somewhere. No, no, I don't need the wheel. It's all good. He does the burnout. The guy's all good. But when he makes the hit, for three seconds, his hands are like that because you can't control that. Like you said, six no. Gs or whatever. It, so it's the funniest thing. Yeah, that's why the steering wheel is there to hold on. Yeah, I have to say that after being a driver, I don't think I could do that as a passenger. Oh, I bet. I, I would need to be in control. It's a big crackling monster behind you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yours is bigger than his. Uh, his is only 500 cubic inches, uh, NHRA. Yours is what, what did you say, 565? Yeah, but mine only has about, a, my car only has 1,000 horsepower. It runs oh, I know. Up, I'm just yeah. saying you've got more displacement. Yours is a bigger engine than Larry's. Yeah. 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 Only 1,000 so, horse, though. Only 1,000. Yeah. yeah, this has got 10. <laughs> yeah. And we yeah, just 10. got um, a Challenger 1320, my fiance and I, so we're kind of, that's kind of new to the family, so hopefully we'll get that out and have some fun. Now, does your fiancé race? He doesn't. He just likes to collect cars, basically. 
Oh, good so for him. We have 69 Camaro. We have the the 1320 is a new addition. He likes Mustang, so we probably have about four or five of those. Um, he likes toys. He every, he likes a lot. He likes a lot. He has a lot of different hobbies, and everything that he has, he has in multiples. So, but uh, hopefully not uh, fiancés. No, I, that's what I say. Only one of me. <laughs> yeah, making sure. Okay. Well, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, yeah. I'm so happy to finally meet you because we never got to meet up at SEMA last year. That's right. You're Sarah yeah. Edwards Racing on uh, on Facebook, on, on Instagram, Instagram, and on uh, not the drive. Where is it? And on uh, online, Sarah Edwards Racing. Yeah. Yep. All right. Do you have a YouTube channel? I don't even know if I looked. I'm, no. I, there's not much on I, there. I, I was late to YouTube too, so don't worry. Me too. <laughs> I got Facebook and Instagram under control. <laughs> yeah. Forget I'll that YouTube you. stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Instagram's pretty good. Even though yeah. I barely have used it. Where are you going to be at SEMA this year? Uh, with Boss Hog. Nice hey, shirt. Hey, very nice shirt. I like hey. shirt. I'm still waiting for mine, and I keep saying that to Nelson. He's like, I'm going to send you one. But He's I do have the, the logo. And thanks to, thanks to Nelson, I met Sarah Edwards you yep. know, at SEMA. I was sicker than a dog there and felt terrible. Yeah. We had nice such a great time last year. A great group of people. Dwayne Maddox, you yourself, yeah. Nelson. Uh, we, it was so much fun. Yeah. Dwayne is supposed to be time. learning me how to uh, do some welding at the at SEMA this year. So uh, there you yeah. go. Yeah. Learning from the best. Yeah, and see, you always get there so late. I have to get there. I'm either there. It opens at nine, I think, right? I think so. so. I think for media, it's open at eight. I get there at eight. And I'm always the first one to see Nelson because I, I can only be there from eight to nine. Otherwise, I got to start work at nine. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I see. And you're a celebrity, so you can show up. You can roll in for your autograph session and whenever you feel like it. <laughs> you can roll in any time. Exactly. Kind of like Ed does. Ed does that. Ed, he rolls in any time. <laughs> well, it's nice to, to meet you. I'm looking yeah. forward to meeting you in person at, uh, at SEMA in, uh, in November. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Let's, let's hope we see each other. Yeah. I know. Hopefully all this crazy stuff will be behind us by then and we'll be good to go. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Right. Take care, drive fast, and uh, when's the wedding? Uh, next October. Next October. Exclusive. Uh, <laughs> Our honeymoon yeah. might be Suma. Perfect. Save a bridesmaid for me. There you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, thanks, thanks for joining guys. us. It's so nice catching up. Yeah. Good, good time, to meet man. you. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Stay well. Bye.